0: Luke chapter 17, as we reflect together on the topic of Thanksgiving this week, particularly in the life of our our country, Randy alluded just a few moments ago to this text, and for sure if you've grown up in the life of the church, you've heard this story before of these 10 lepers who came to Jesus seeking healing, and the Lord responds to them, and yet only one of them responds back with such gratitude and thankfulness and faith. We learn from the reading of this text that Jesus is our only source of salvation. Jesus is our only source of salvation, and faith is believing that truth. Faith is believing Jesus is the only source of salvation. And then faith expresses itself in gratitude to God for what He has accomplished through Christ on our behalf. This story is broken into two equal scenes. The first scene occurs in verses 11 through 14. The second scene occurs in verses 15 through 19. In this first scene, we see the healing of the ten lepers. Here the text of Scripture beginning in Luke chapter 17, verse 11. On the way to Jerusalem, he was passing along between Samaria and Galilee. It seems as though Jesus is in some area that would be a point in which a source of contention would have taken place in the life of ancient Israel. This border between Galilee and Samaria. Galilee was in the northern part of Israel. Jesus is making his way down south to Jerusalem. Of course, you know the text of Scripture. He's headed to Jerusalem for a purpose, is he not? He's headed to Jerusalem for the purpose of giving his life as an atonement for the sins of the world. As Jesus is making his way toward Jerusalem, he's, he enters this, this area of contention. He enters this area where these two groups of people, the Jews and the Samaritans, don't quite get along. There are two ethnicities and there's quite a bit of hatred and animosity toward one another. So it's interesting that Jesus in this narrative is at this place. He's at a place of contention. And as he entered the village, we don't know what village this is. It's an unnamed village. As he enters this village, he is met by Ten men who have a skin disease. He's met by ten lepers. But notice these lepers. How do they stand in relationship to Christ? Look what the text says. They stand at a distance. Here, are these ten lepers are 10 people who have already been ostracized by their culture. They're not 10 people who are celebrated. They're not 10 people that you invite to your Thanksgiving feast on Thursday. They're not 10 people that you would even care to invite to join you for church. They're 10 people in every measurable way that you desire to remain as far away from you as possible. you notice what the text says. They stood at a distance. Record that phrase in your mind, and we'll return to it in a moment. In verse 13, they lifted up their voices and cried out, Jesus, Master, have compassion. Have mercy on us. And when he saw them, he said to them, Go and show yourselves to the priest. And as they went, notice what the text says, they were cleansed. Jesus, yet again, in a narrative in the Gospels, is not so much telling us He is God, He is showing us He is God. In fact, the entire narrative is constructed in such a way that the narrative itself points to us this eternal truth that Jesus is, indeed God. We see this unfold in this first scene, through this cleansing in a couple of ways. Number one, notice to whom <coughs> notice to whom these 10 lepers present themselves. They present themselves, interestingly, to Jesus. Now, you've read your Old Testaments, particularly the book of Leviticus, who in ancient Israel bore the responsibility as it concerned lepers. Who made the declaration that they were lepers in the first place? Who made the declaration that the lepers were cleansed? The priest. But it's not the priest to whom these men present themselves. They present themselves to Christ. They know there is something about the very character of Christ that he and he alone can provide a source of cleansing. But notice their cry. Their cry is a plea for mercy. A cry for mercy, folks, this is going to be a challenging presentation. my throat is affecting me more than what I imagined it would okay we're going to make it through okay you hang with me their cry was a cry for mercy a cry for mercy is a plea to someone that is superior than you for example, there would be no need for you to come to me and ask me for mercy. I can't extend it to you. But there very well could be a reason for one of my children to come to me and ask for mercy. There could be a reason for either you or me to make a cry for mercy For example, to the police officer who pulls you over for speeding. In fact, I've got a staple cry for mercy for one of those, if you wish. Why? Why am I making a plea to that person? You know, that person is a superior. We see from this text of Scripture the superiority of Christ through the cry of mercy... For the lepers, they understand their state. They understand who they are, and they understand who Jesus is. Their aim, their cry for mercy is directed toward the right source. Jesus. And notice how they address Him. Jesus. They understand Him to be the Lord, they address him as, as master. They understand there's something unique about him. This word master in the context of the New Testament, by and large, is used by the disciples of Christ toward Jesus. The disciples understood the very character and nature of Jesus. But here, these lepers, these people disconnected from Christ, these unbelievers, They make a plea to Jesus for mercy. They want His hand of compassion. And notice what the text says at the very end of verse 14. Jesus did what? He cleansed them. But notice how the cleansing takes place. The cleansing takes place after... They respond in obedience to Jesus. They say, Hey, Lord, have pity on us. Have mercy on us. Help us out here. And what does Jesus say? Go show yourself to the priest. Now, you might could have imagined the conversation at least taking place in their heads. I didn't go to the priest, I came to you, Jesus. If I wanted help from the priest, I would, have, I would have gone to the priest. Maybe perhaps the lepers are even thinking, I've gone to the priest a hundred times. I've made plenty of cries for mercy. But we've come to you, Jesus. But notice what the text indicates. Jesus says, go show yourself to the priest. And they turned and went to the priest. They respond to Jesus in obedience. And their obedience to the word of God is what brings about a sense of cleansing in their lives. And friends, it works the same way for you and me today. There is cleansing found in one and one alone. There is cleansing, there is healing found in Christ and Christ alone, and that healing takes place when we respond rightly to Jesus' command. But notice what happens in the transition of this scene. This first scene we see the healing of these ten. But notice in verses 15 through 19, we see the salvation of one. The salvation of one. Then one of them, when he saw that he was... Notice the change of the use of the vocabulary in your Bibles. Chapter 14, chapter 17, verse 14, they are what? Cleansed. But what happens to this one? Then one of them, when he saw that he was healed, turned back, praising God with a loud voice, And he fell on his face. Where? At Jesus' feet. Giving God thanks. Now he was a Samaritan that the Bible tells us. And then Jesus answered, Were not ten cleansed? Where are the nine? Was no one found to return and give thanks to God except this foreigner? And he said to him, Rise and go your way. Your faith has saved you. The narrative begins with the ten. What did the Bible say? At a distance from Jesus. But look how the narrative concludes, friends, with one. Where? At Jesus' feet. The narrative, the very beginning of the story, indicating to us that there were ten who stood at a distance from Jesus is not only an indication of their actual location from Christ, it was also an indication of their heart. Away from Christ. See, friends, we live in a culture that is radically shifting. And while there are still plenty of people, the majority of people in American culture still claim to be, quote, Christian. I propose to you that the Christianity that we're, that we're used to experiencing the context of our culture, is a Christianity of a group of people like the ten lepers. We notice there's something unique about Jesus. We like the thought of Jesus. We like the power of Christ. We like that he is always with us. But let's just be honest. We're at a distance from him. See, friends, there's only one thing that removes that distance between your life and my life from Christ. And that one thing that removes that distance and places us away from Christ and at the feet of Christ is faith. It seems at the beginning of this narrative, that these 10 lepers all have a faith in Jesus. Does it not? It seems as that all 10 of these people understand that there's only one who can bring about a sense of healing. But as the narrative progresses... There's only one that exercises true faith in Jesus. And what is true faith in Jesus? Believing that Christ and Christ alone is the only source of salvation. How do we know this man was saved? Because of the language of the text. Look again at the very end of the story in verse 19. The majority of our passages of Scripture says, rise and go your way. Your faith has made you well. The Bible uses a well-known Greek word here, sozo, that means salvation. Eternal salvation. Salvation that comes about through faith in Christ. This is the word that is used here in this text. In Scripture, Jesus says to this one who has returned to express his faith, to communicate his faith, Jesus says to him, rise and go your way. Your faith has saved you. Friends, there is only one thing that places you and me in a right position with Christ. There's only one thing that moves us from a distance from Christ that brings us close to Christ at His feet. It's faith. But notice how this text expresses to us faith's evidence. This is the struggle, for example, in the book of James, between faith and works. Some would read this narrative and the narrative in the book of James and conclude that actually what saves us is our works. But notice what Jesus says in this passage. What saved the man? His faith. But notice how faith always evidences itself. There is no such thing is you or I having faith that cannot be seen. If we have faith in God, that faith in God will be communicated to those around us. How does this man evidence his faith? How does he show us his faith? Look at verse 17, 15. He Turned back, and to whom did he cast his praise? What's the Bible say? God. Who provided healing for him? Who provided salvation for him? Jesus. To whom did he direct his praise? God. Why? Because we understand that the narrative of the text of Scripture is that there is only one who provides salvation for you and me, and it's God. God is the one that provided salvation for the nation of Israel, as they stood at the precipice of the Red Sea with the Egyptians behind them and the sea in front of them, and God split the Red Sea and saved them. God is the one that looked on my state of sin and on your state of sin and on the state of the sin of the world, and God has shown mercy to you And to me, how? By sending us His Son, Jesus. And as we reflect as brothers and sisters in Christ upon this Thanksgiving week, the greatest thing that we all have to be thankful for is that God and God alone has provided salvation. There's no other. There's no greater gift. In fact, we might be prone to read this text of Scripture and think, look how marvelous. Here's a Samaritan and nine more than likely Jewish people. They, they were lepers. They were ostracized from culture and from society. And, and now they've been cleansed. And so we might think that the greatest thing and this story is that these people have received physical healing. Look how wonderful it is now. They don't have to be ostracized. A justice has, has, been, has been carried out. These, these people can now go back into culture. And isn't this a great thing? Look how, look how marvelous this is. But the true miracle of this story is not that God provided physical healing. The true miracle of this story, friends, is that God through Christ provided spiritual healing. And you might be tempted today to think that your greatest struggle in life has something to do with your experience in life. Perhaps for whatever reason, in your context, in your workforce, you're ostracized. Perhaps you don't think your boss likes you. Because of your of your sex or your ethnicity. Perhaps you you, you find yourself ostracized in, in the community that you live in because you don't. Dress the same way that your neighbors do. Perhaps you're prone to think that if you could just get over that physical ailment, then everything else in life would be okay. But Friends, this story reminds us that those things are not our greatest problems in life. My greatest problem, and your greatest problem, and your neighbor's greatest problem, and your family member's greatest problem apart from Christ, is that they're living their lives in rebellion against God, and they need to be rescued from their sin. Now go back with me just a quick moment to the narrative that is told right before this story begins. Chapter 17, verses 7 through 10. You remember this? Jesus says, well, one of you who has a servant plowing or keeping sheep, say to him when he has come back from the field, come at once and recline at my table. Well, that's absurd. No. You would never say that to the slave. Rather, verse 8, you would say to the slave, prepare supper for me and dress properly and serve me while I eat and drink and afterward, you will eat and drink. Yes. That's the right response. Verse 9. Does he thank the servant because he did what was commanded? He might say it like this. Do you give your kids allowance because they did their chores? Not at my house, I'm sorry. Look at verse 10. So you also, when you have done all that you were commanded, say, we are unworthy servants. We have only done What is our duty? And then Jesus gives us a story. See, friends, verses 11 through 19 is an ultimate reflection of the truth communicated here in verses 7 through 9. Gratitude is owed... Through the master alone. Jesus doesn't owe you or me any thanks. We, like this one leper, completely, totally owe him all if you've given all to Christ today? Do you live your life with a conscience awareness that everything you have in your life today is because of the graciousness of God in Christ? Friend, if you're here today, And like these ten lepers, you understand that there is something unique about Jesus. Perhaps you spent the last ten years of your life in some conscious way from time to time giving thanks to God. And being aware of the uniqueness of of Jesus. But like these other nine lepers, you continue to stay at a distance from Jesus. Would you come to Christ today? Would you? Would you? Would we... Fall at Jesus' feet today. Would you pray with me? Lord, we thank you for what you, Jesus, have accomplished on our behalf in granting to us hope, mercy, salvation. God, we confess that it too many times in our lives we're like the nine lepers. We're unwilling to live our lives with gratitude at every moment, at every turn, living our lives with a true sense of faith and dedication. And commitment to you. God, we would ask this morning that by your Spirit, you would cause each of us today to be that one leper who at this moment turns back to you, Jesus, and says thank you. Do you need to return to Christ today, friend? Would you take a few moments where you're seated, reflect on the preaching of God's word, Do you need to return to God today? Do you need to turn back to Christ? In faith and repentance, acknowledging your great need for Him? Would you trust in Christ today? for those of us who have trusted in Christ. Do you live your life with a daily sense of gratitude for God's kindness, graciousness, and goodness to you expressed in a thousand different ways? Would you take a few moments where you're seated this morning and just express a few of those to God now? Would you give thanks to him for the gift of family? Would you thank him for life? Would you thank him for the joy of living in the greatest country in all the world? Would you give him thanks for salvation? In just a few moments, we're gonna stand and respond to the preaching of God's word. Friend, if you're here today and you have questions about what it means to trust in Christ, myself and Pastor Travis will be standing down front. We would be glad to share with you how you can trust in Christ, how you can believe. But friend, you don't have to come forward to speak to one of us. There are plenty of people seated around you who would delight in sharing with you how you can trust in Christ. Secondly, perhaps you would like one of us just to pray with you. We would delight in shepherding your heart by praying for you. Or thirdly, maybe God has impressed upon your heart that this is a congregation which you need to be connected to live out your life on mission with Him This would be an opportunity for you to express your interest in being part of this faith family. Lord, as we respond to you now, may our responses be pleasing to you, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.